Hello, my name is Shelley Shanfield, and I am a member of the League of Women Voters of Washtenaw County. We would like to welcome you to our series of programs focusing on criminal justice reform. This program, the one-year update of the CREW, Citizens for Racial Equality in Washtenaw report, with CREW members Desiree Simmons, co-director, Interfaith Council for Peace and Justice, and Reverend Joe Summers of the Episcopal Church of Incarnation is part of that series. The League of Women Voters is a nonpartisan voter education organization encouraging informed, active participation in government. We believe that voting is a fundamental citizen right that must be guaranteed. While the League does not support candidates or parties, we do take positions on issues we have studied. Our programs will not necessarily represent the, posi the positions of our speakers, but provide forums to increase voter understanding of public policy issues. Welcome everybody, I'm Teresa Reed. I'm co-chair of the program committee for the League of Women Voters of Washtenaw County. Tonight, we're happy to present our second of three quarterly programs exploring the criminal legal system and restorative justice in Washtenaw County. Our Lunch and Learn programs, which are, which are hosted by Shelley Shanfield, who just introduced this program, um, are held on the fourth Friday of the month and are also dedicated to criminal legal reform this quarter. The U.S. incarcerates a higher percentage of its citizens than any other country in the world. With 5% of the world's population, we have nearly 25% of the world's prisoners. So to continue with Teresa's work here, the U.S. incarcerates a higher percentage of its citizens than any other country in the world. With 5% of the world's population, we have nearly 25% of the world's prisoners. The U.S. spends tens of billions of our tax dollars annually to keep more than 2 million men and women in prison, a vast increase over the last 40 years. Prisoners of the United States are primarily poor and people of color with policing practices like arbitrary traffic stops, broken window patrolling, and cash bail imprisoning people for trivial or non-existent offenses and further impoverishing them. Over-incarceration and racial disparities in the criminal legal system plague Washtenaw County, just as they do in every other jurisdiction. In 2019, a group of community members calling themselves CREW for Citizens for Racial Equality in Washtenaw formed to investigate just how bad the problem is here. Members of CREW spent months combing through Washtenaw County case data on the charging and sentencing of individuals in Washtenaw County. They found stark racial disparities in the experiences of white residents and residents of color in interactions with the county's police, prosecutors, and courts. One year ago this month, they published their first report documenting these injustices and calling for immediate action by those institutions responsible for funding, administering, and overseeing the criminal legal system in Washtenaw County. Today, we are honored to welcome two leaders of CREW to bring us up to date on the systemic response to their original report. Desiree Simmons is a co-director with the Interface Council for Peace and Justice. 
She is also a community organizer and advocate serving in multiple grassroots organizations and coalitions. Currently, she serves as the vice chair for the Michigan Democratic Party's Progressive Caucus and the Washtenaw County Democratic Party's Black Caucus. She is also a founding member of Liberate, Don't Incarcerate, Rising for Economic Democracy in Ipsy, What's Left Ipsy, and Untold Stories of Liberation and Love, among other groups. Simmons is a member of the Subcommittee on Housing Affordability and Accessibility through the City of Ypsilanti's Planning Commission. Reverend Joe Summers has been the pastor of the Episcopal Church of Incarnation of the Incarnation since 1987. He and his congregation have been involved in criminal justice reform efforts throughout this period. Reverend Summers helped create and served as the county co-chair of the Washtenaw County branch of the Michigan Prisoner Reentry Initiative and later became involved with Friends of Restorative Justice. He also serves on the steering committee, steering teams of the Interfaith Council for Peace and Justice and the Washtenaw County Poor People's Campaign. Welcome Desiree and Joseph. Thank you. It's so great to be joining the League of Women Voters. We're going to do a really quick overview just for folks who might be less familiar and just to kind of bring us up to speed as we then go forward in VR, because this report has been living on, which is really great that it didn't just get put on a shelf somewhere. I'll start off with just, um, we, we kind of just start with kind of how crew came to be. And it was the, uh, a connection of uh, Marianne Sorosi and, and Joe Summers uh, were having conversations and thinking about trying to think about what data was publicly available and saw that they could tell some information from looking at the court records and pulled actually together some volunteers that a lot of the data before the crew members actually even got it. So I always like to acknowledge the work of the volunteers before uh, we were um, even able to analyze the data. It had to be pulled together in a way that could be analyzed. And we had, uh, we hired a statistician, Grady Bridges, who did a lot of that statistical analysis work. Uh, so overview. So as we said, we looked at the case data from the Washtenaw County Circuit Court to assess if there are racial disparities existing in charging. And so just to say that we actually did not look at data um, from the uh, law enforcement or the sheriff or the police departments um, through this, we made some questions about some of that based on some of the data that we could see, but we were really looking at charging and sentencing. So as we go through the next part, it's really focused on the prosecutor and, and the court. We included many questions and areas for further exploration due to lack of information that was available or resource constraints. And I want to mention that because some of where we are today um, that's exciting is that we're in a position to have more access and more of the folks, the players in the legal system here in the county who will be coming together really for information that than what we had available to us. 
We examine common categories of non-capital felony cases uh, filed between 2017 and 2019, and all specified felony cases filed between 2013 and 2019. Um, and we were looking at a total of 11 different case categories. So um, in terms of the findings with the prosecutor, in all 11 case categories, the prosecutors charged dramatically more people of color than white people. And this is anywhere from three to 29 times as likely. Um, at the end of this presentation, we'll see an infographic so that you can kind of really see what that looks like. And to also recognize that for our report, when we say 98% uh, of uh, the people of color are black. And so we wanna also make that clear. In 10 of the 11 categories, the prosecutors filed more charges against people of color on average than white people. So anywhere between 12.8% to 62.9%. Um, and this raised questions about both horizontal overcharging and overcharging in terms of what thing, how many charges a person saw come to them and what kind of you know, incentive that might provide in terms of uh, pleading out or things of that sort, or accepting some charges in order for others to be dropped, even if they didn't necessarily have evidence to be convicted of all of those charges. And in 10 of the 11 categories received more convictions per case on average than white people. And this raised questions in connection with the habitual offender charges, which we will also talk about more again. So with the judiciary, uh, so we highlighted uh, 23 instances across the case categories where an individual judge was an outlier um, with harsher sentences or whose sentences showed racial disparities. So one judge in particular, Judge Archie Brown, accounted for 13 of the 23 instances that we cited. And we did not find a pattern of racial disparity in sentencing across all case categories that we study. So we put so for the prosecutor, for the commission, the board of commissioners to establish a community of race equity commission, engage a neutral third party evaluator, to study files, policies, and procedures, and to make recommendations for evidence-based improvements. And this is something that the prosecutor's office under the leadership of Ellie Savitt has been doing work um, and working towards so that for us to see, to create online dashboard with data points, which is another um, something else that I know is in process, both within the prosecutor's office as well as in the sheriff's department, charging decisions and sentencing recommendations to include a racial impact statement, ongoing implicit and explicit racial bias training um, for county employees and those that investigate cases, eliminate the habitual offender statute, which just to say uh, something about the habitual offender statute, this is something that is used by choice, it is not mandatory, so it's discretionary. And there are various levels for the habitual offender charge, which with each level, so if you're habitual offender two or three, that comes with an additional of years that will, can be added to your, to your sentence. And so this is something that is not used 
at all times. And it's a choice of how it's, how it's been used, as we saw within the data, came with racial disparities. The other thing to note with the habitual offender statute is that we did not, because of how we kind of pulled the data together. So for folks, for uh, life sentences or things like that, we, uh, because we couldn't determine how many years in the same way, those are not included within this. So with a judiciary, we wanted to see, uh, we recommend for there to be an equity audit um, that is public and transparent to better assist voters with decision-making. One of the things that we realized too is that a lot of folks don't know or don't really pay attention to the fact that we elect the judges at the ballot. And how do we know whether they're doing a good job if we can't see any information? And so wanting to have that be more open, to have a race equity commission that which could explore things like why life sentences are given to people of color at disproportionate rates as white people, to study the 23 instances and to address those questions raised. And in particular, given the disparities displayed by the cases presided over by Judge Brown, that we want, we encourage immediate action, which has not happened. So uh, there hasn't yet been immediate action that we can tell um, to monitor his criminal cases um, and place a moratorium on sentencing and a, to review for personal or systemic bias. Also oversight of racial disparities in decision-making by the Judicial Tenure Commission, um, which currently there is nothing with, that they could, there is really no recourse for these kind of foundings from the Judicial Tenure Commission. So the report pretty early on was affirmed by the Ellie Savin, Chief Judge Carol Kunke. We've had meetings with the judges and uh, county commissioners and racial equity officer, which has, well, I'll come back to that. The report got a lot of media coverage, um, including, um, was included in an editorial by the Supreme Court Chief McCormick and Bridge, as well as a number of Detroit, Detroit Free Press articles um, in the Michigan Daily um, and, and other sources. The Interfaith Council for Peace and Justice uh, we uh, did a town hall um, with the Faith Leaders Forum, and then out of that, we have formed uh, some action planning teams, currently three active teams. There's an outreach team, there is a system-wide study team, and a policy team. And we've been connecting with other counties that might be interested in doing this kind of work as well, um, and trying to help think through where they could get funding, how do they uh, connect with a statistician, how do they have someone like uh, the role that Marianne played crucial to really hold the project together and make sure that we were able to write the report and things of that sort. Out of the town hall, we, it actually launched a collaboration with the STAMP School, uh, which we'll see some of the outcomes of that, which includes a couple of short animations, some infographic visualizations, so data and movement, and then also a podcast, which is uh, going to be released soon. And then the other thing is that we were able to get a grant for $200,000 
from the Michigan Justice Fund, which is going toward supporting the Washtenaw Equity Partnership, which includes within the county, uh, all the different, as I you know, would say, the different players in our legal system. So the prosecutor's office, the judges, the def- defense attorney, all these different groups, the sheriff's department, who will be participating as well as having community participation through the different work groups. We are bringing in um, the Vera Institute to lead this, to lead this process, uh, which will come forth with really, you know, implementable <laughs> things that we can implement here in the county to really reimagine what our justice system can look like and how it can be more equitable. It was really important to us that we were really centering the human aspect of what was happening um, and that even though we were looking at data and really focused on data that it's people about its lives, it's their time and their space and community and what happens when we remove people from our community. This is uh, being designated as a habitual offender in cases with weapons, felony, firearm. Um, which is a charge that can be um, to case to a different to different cases, and so as you see, the orange dots are the people of color. So there's 25 total cases in the time period that we studied, and there are two total cases of white folks who were charged with this um, in the time we studied. And as I mentioned, a habitual offender is um, a discretionary charge in ways that. Um, you can see, so you can see any of the people were charged as habitual offender versus the many that were not charged as habitual offender with the charge specifically for the weapon fire, felony firearm. All right, I think that's good. So you can obviously explore the toolkit. We hope to be adding more, it, uh, but we wanted to just kind of uh, so you could see that we are still updating our website um, and adding things as, uh, you know, community really is stepping in um, to take the report to continually more and more levels and to help the community to understand the report and to think about what can we do. And so I'll toss it over to Joe. Yeah, so uh, I see that in the chat that uh the, when we were looking, it was the former prosecutor, Brian Mackey, in particular, for uh, during that time span. Okay, Jeff. Okay, thank you, Des, and thank you, League of Women Voters, for just continuing to help uh, guide our community into discussing these important topics. So I just want to talk about some of the implications of the crew report. Uh, the first thing to say is that Uh, What the crew report tells us is not that Washtenaw County is exceptional in the kinds of racial disparities we find here, but that we're not exceptional. We reflect what's going on in our country as a whole, despite this idea that we've been doing things very differently in our county. And thus we're we're faced with the challenge of what strategies will really make a difference to reduce these racial disparities and insisting that we're gonna keep on changing things until we see these disparities come to an end. I also wanna say that part of these disparities 
are also about class and income, but that's harder to address since we don't keep data by class or income. And so if, as I believe our criminal justice system has been one of the, our country's major ways of responding to the problems that arise from poverty, it's also gonna require our strategizing about what keeps people trapped in poverty. So this is a doorway into a much bigger, deeper problem. Now the criminal justice system has been one of the major institutions that's been working to keep people trapped in poverty. And the good news is we're seeing some significant progress when it comes to the criminal justice system in our county. Uh, we've seen some important policing reforms that address uh, particularly those who are ending up in our county jail. Um, our state uh, has passed legislation. One of the major groups who ended up in our county jails were people with outstanding uh, warrants for traffic violations who would then get pulled in, put into jail, couldn't make bail. Uh, that was a significant part of our jail population in Michigan. The state has changed those things in the past year. Um, we're also addressing, um, you know, one of the major ways we've been punishing people for traffic, for not paying traffic tickets has been to take their driver's licenses away from them, which again, just traps people in terms of um, not being able to get jobs or keep jobs. So those reforms have been really important and affect the lives of thousands of people in our state. Similarly, the ex expungement legislation that was passed last year, uh, we know there's, uh, it makes an immediate difference when people have their records expunged in terms of the possibilities for employment and levels of income they can make. And that expungement legislation, it's estimated that it's gonna affect the lives of 100,000 people in Wayne County alone. So we're talking about some very significant changes. Um, in our county, we're seeing the work, uh, the prosecutor leading the way to end cash bail. You know, it turns out we're at something like 50% of the population can't afford $400 to pay bail, um, you know, in an emergency. Um, and you rarely hear bail as low as $400. So um, th this is just a system that's been trapping people. Um, our sheriff's department and community mental health have been working together. They've set up a 911 system. So instead of the police being sent in response to uh, mental health calls, uh, mental health professionals are being sent. This is a vital step forward. Um, we're seeing this new program uh, that the pr prosecutor's office is setting up to deflect people out of jail um, who are arrested for minor crimes. Um, that's, we're supposed to hear about that beginning in September. Um, and what this reflects is our new prosecutor, the prosecutor's office using its discretionary power to determine when and how to pursue charges in terms of what's in the best interest of the community. That's always been the prosecutor's mandate. But in the past, our prosecutors have simply been charging people with the highest level of crime they could charge them with given the evidence or as many crimes as possible. Um, so, uh, so that's again, just a very significant change that we're hoping will be seen. Um, it's also, this involves, 
you know, one of the key questions in this is that we see in the crew report a consistent pattern of overcharging people. That is, if you look at the crew data pretty consistently, you know, people are charged with twice as many crimes as they then plead guilty to having done. This is, from my perspective, this is basically blackmailing people into pleading guilty to a lesser charge to avoid sentences that they, they couldn't, couldn't handle. This is a very efficient way to run a lot of people through a criminal justice system. However, it's unjust. It's gonna take a lot of imagination and to do something different uh, that, uh, that really looks at what's happening with people and what's best for them and what's best for the community. Um, so, and this is where restorative justice comes in. Um, you know, restorative justice is about not using a cookie cutter system for justice where you're just trying to process as many people as quickly as possible. We need to look at, at what really helps uh, people who have been victimized by crime, what helps people who have uh, done harm uh, so we're a safer and so we have a safer and healthier community and what role the community has to play in all these things what are the the resources that people are getting or not getting who who get caught up in in uh, our criminal system um, also um, we're seeing our prosecutor's office has been treating uh, various types of crime differently including drugs and sex trafficking charges. Um, and we're also seeing the, the prosecutor's office trying to develop a full-scale expungement program. I referred to earlier how much that can help people to make it easier for people to get their records expunged. Uh, and the prosecutor's office is also trying to set up a, a kind of innocence project where people who have been convicted, uh, wrongly found guilty of crimes can uh, have their, their sentences reversed. I, I do wanna say, however, we are not yet addressing the much, you know, there are some people, probably a significant number who have been found guilty of crimes they didn't commit. However, the much bigger problem is the problem we've seen over the last 40 years of over-sentencing. And we have not yet begun to tackle that problem. Um, you know, when we talk in the crew report about what we see in the cases of Judge Brown, you know, are we just gonna live with the kinds of cases where people got disproportionate sentences or are we gonna come up with some mechanism to review what happened to those pieces, people's cases so that we don't just live with these past injustices that, that affect the lives of so many uh, individuals and families in our community. Um, with regards to the courts, a couple of judges in our county have put the vision of restorative justice as the heart of the work they're trying to do in their courtrooms. However, as a branch of our government, though we're hearing a commitment to restorative justice, um, and though some judges have been involved in the discussion about setting up a county restorative justice center to provide an alternative to the conventional justice system, I have to say we haven't seen any real initiatives or leadership when it comes to changing policies, as near as I can tell, uh, happening with our judges. I hear that judges are dependent on the cases the police and prosecutors bring to them, but surely they're meant to be our last arbiters appointed to assure that justice, not injustice, is happening through our legal system. 
So I just think we need to expect more of them. They need to be more imaginative about how they can play that role. So we press on. Hopefully this coming year will be a critical year in terms of reforming Washtenaw County's criminal justice system, um, particularly through that, that Vera work that Des mentioned, but also the governor has established a new task force to reform our youth justice system. And hopefully as a result of both these initiatives, we'll be able to make some major headway in the coming year. Um, lastly, I wanna say that while criminal justice reforms are vital to addressing racial and economic discrimination in our society, these reforms will ultimately only be effective to the degree to which we address the other factors that are also working to reproduce racial and economic discrimination in our county in terms of other key areas like housing, schooling, higher education, employment, healthcare, transportation, environmental and, and immigration policies as each of these areas helps to determine the racial and economic caste system in our county. As long as people are oppressed and marginalized and are not given a real opportunity to succeed, we'll see the kinds of behaviors that others feel threatened by. Ultimately, the solution to crime is the opportunity for everyone to be a full citizen, a full participant in the life of our community so that there's a lot of work for us to do. But for me, Washtenaw County is the perfect place to be doing this work, not because we're special, but because our county seems to so perfectly reflect the kinds of problems we find in our country as a whole in terms of racial and economic discrimination. This is a time where I believe we can make major progress on these issues if we're willing to dedicate our lives to working on them. And lastly, anybody in their right mind would have been sobered by the news we heard about the condition of our planet uh, that we heard on, on Monday of this week. I just wanna add that the issue of environmental devastation is inextricably linked to the issue of the radical, of radical social inequality in a myriad of ways. So I believe we have to keep insisting on addressing both issues at the same time Otherwise, we'll have no ultimate success in either area. For me, part of what this means is that this is the time for us to end poverty in this country if we're going to wake in our nation to the challenges our world is facing. Thank you so much. <laughs> Joe, I just want to just jump on that um, last piece. I really appreciate you, you know, bringing in these connections because easy to feel like these things are separated but we know that the culture shift that we need to undergo in the time frame that we need to undergo it is this they're connected they are bound together um, and when we talk about you know as with crew you know we were focused on you know we've been focused on the legal system but as we look at what are the solutions that what do we need to have happen? That we're talking about intersections that uh, need to happen further upstream, right? That need to happen around housing and that need to happen 
around healthcare and job, job training, job security, wages, uh, that these are the things that are part of what is pulls people down economically as you, you were, and that these are places where we need to focus our attention in order to actually deal with the issues within our criminal legal system too. And the other thing I just wanted to note too, I forgot to mention in terms of some of the things happening now within the policy action team. So one of them was actually looking at the um, response period has passed, but the, the Michigan Supreme Court proposing a change, a, a court rule that would, that was focused on data that would come from each of the courts. And so right now it's really spotty what they put in, what it looks like. It's really hard to tell what's similar or not similar to be able to tell trends or, you know, tell some of these things. And so this was something that they're looking at now to think about whether they could, all the courts would need, local courts would need to submit their case data to the Supreme Court's judicial data warehouse and which would make it more transparent and easier to assess by community members. So that's another thing um, that's happening around transparency of data. Um, and so we'll see where that goes because that period of comment just ended uh, August. So, so Desiree, to build on that just a minute, you know, one of the funny things about the crew report has been some of the reaction to it. You know, like, you know, this data, everything we published was based on the county Washtenaw County's own court data. So to the degree to that, our report is only accurate to the degree to which the county's own data is accurate. But for these, for folks to be acting like this is surprising, you know, any of you forge people went in and did court watching. All you have to do is walk into any court in Washtenaw County to, to experience the racial disparities, to see that it's a system that's primarily dealing with low-income folks. So that kind of data that does, so to me, it shows the difference that having data, because everybody's had this visual in front of them for 30 years. You know, why does it take putting it down in paper in the form of statistics to get people to go, oh, I guess what I've seen is real, you know? Um, secondly, Carolyn Madden asked the question, can you explain how the $200,000 grant that's going to the Washtenaw Equity Partnership is gonna facilitate change in the county's justice system? So that grant is specifically, uh, has hired the Vera Institute, which is one of the leading criminal justice reform organizations in the country to facilitate a, prom a process in our county that brings together not only the key institutional players, but also community members to look at where and how these in injustices are being reproduced in our county and where and how we can uh, intervene to address them. And then to, once that's determined, begin the process of helping our county implement them. And that's all being done in a year in a county that likes to talk about problems for five years before it begins to think about action. So I'm very excited to have, you know, this, this group of national experts giving our county the kind of, hopefully the background courage and background backbone 
uh, and courage and expertise to feel some confidence in, in addressing these longstanding problems um, that we're seeing in our, in, our, in our criminal justice program. And I wanna say to League of Women Voters folks, you know, keep ultimately these systems only change when the public asks them to change because systems have a way of just wanting to go the path of least resistance. Um, and what we're talking about is, a, is changing our system to a way that, as I say, initially is gonna feel less efficient, but is gonna have much more to do with ultimately creating healthier, uh, com a healthier community. But that will only happen if the public keeps demanding it. Great, thank you. Are you, are you guys finished for the time being? Because we have many questions. Good. Okay, great. Okay, great. So um, to, a bunch of things right off the top of my head. Um, Joseph, I'm just so, um, you know, I'm struck by your, um, your comment that, you know, Washtenaw County likes to think of ourselves as exceptional, but we're not exceptional in, in this, in criminal justice practice or haven't been um, in the past several years. Um, I wonder if you can um, tell us a little bit, Joseph or, or um, Des, about um, the origin story of Crew. If you had said that, I was off of my internet. I got kicked off. Um, how, who started Crew? How did this get started? So it started when Marianne Sorosi and I had been sitting in on the trial of a young African-American man and were kind of horrified by what we saw happening in the courtroom. Uh -huh. And we realized that we had had this experience before in the county because I've, I've accompanied members of my congregation and others through our, our system. And so in talking about this, like literally in the hallway outside of that trial, we thought, you know, well, what kind of, you know, we were particularly upset by how this judge was behaving, but, you know, how common was this kind of behavior? We thought, let's, you know, maybe we could find some data that would help us understand that. And even just a cursory view of the data got us thinking, okay, there's something really going on here that could make a difference. And that's when we began to try to find people who could help us process that data and then began to reach out to other people in the community who we thought would represent kind of respected leaders in the community to, to uh, process that data together. Like we uh -huh. didn't have the data at the beginning when crew started, you know, then, then the data came in. Right, I mean, crew, can I just... crew generated the data, I mean, collected the data. Yeah, Dan. Yeah, and I just wanted to add that, you know, uh, you know, we had talked about this a little bit, but I do love this kind of origin story because I feel like it's so powerful for all of us in community because it just took, you know, two folks having some questions and saying, if we got to find some answers to it, and then reaching into their personal and community network, pull others into that conversation. Yeah. And so a lot of times we think about like what it takes to enact change, to catalyze change. It just takes a question and a follow through, right? Mm -hmm. And then connecting within network to push it through um, to get where we are today, right? And so yeah. I always like to kind of lift that up because as we move forward, we need that kind of can-do spirit to bubble up within each and that, 
you know, to keep on the lookout for those and to not just sit back on these questions. Because some of these questions people have had, you know, maybe across time, but it just is kind of like we kind of have given over the power to these systems that we think that they will work it out. But what we know is that they will work things out inequitably as we're seeing right now. And so it just takes some people with questions just for to change. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, um, Joe, I think you mentioned earlier, you know, asking yourself, like, we all have seen this before. Like, why does it take numbers to bring it home? But, you know, I think most citizens of Washington County have not been in the courts. And this speaks to the segregation of the process in some ways, right? We, I think most of us haven't been there and seen what you've seen as a pastor or, and as an activist and so forth. And so, um, so you know, spearheading this process is, has been so, so important. And the, the report and the website are just fantastic. And um, the, the amount of data that you um, harvested, and I, I, I have a bunch of other questions, but I'm really curious about process. Like how, how, who funded it? And, you know, how did you gather, how long did it take you to gather the talent and who funded it initially? So, Des, do you want to do that? I, I believe we- Well, we received, we received funding from um, the ACLU, um, here in Michigan, uh -huh. um, which funded, which helped to fund the statistician primarily. Uh -huh. um, all of the members of crew did so on a volunteer basis. And so, yeah. And I'll also say, you know, we had a couple of earth scientists in my congregation who were happy to use their statistical skills, you know, on other than the planet. Um, yeah. What a wonderful contribution. I mean, just really so, so impressive. Um, I wanted to ask you. Sorry, sorry, I want to get in one more word sorry, about yes, the problem of institutions. You know, institutions fall into just pursuing their self-interest. Mm -hmm. And they have to be keep being called back to serving the purpose for which they were meant to serve. And so, for example, when I worked with the Prisoner Reentry Initiative, we found that all these agencies were supposed to be working with those who were being released from prison, but almost none of them were, because mm -hmm. it was a lot of work and they didn't see much success there. And they mm -hmm. partly weren't seeing much success because none of the rest of them were working with this population either. So again, there we had to create kind of a community council Mm -hmm. went around to all the key institutional players in the county and saying, you've got to show up to do what you are, you're supposed to do legally or by, by your self-definition. Mm -hmm. And that's the same kind of thing we, we need to be doing. You know, I want to say that actually, yes, there's a lot of people who haven't been through our courtrooms, but there's also a lot who have, have mm -hmm. and who just, but it's in the context of them feeling so ashamed that they yeah. themselves or their family members in the courtroom, they just, you know, want to run from that experience rather than wrestling with it and saying, you know, what's going on here. Right. And, and, and I think a lot of, uh, a lot of the time they just lack community resources to call on or even a sense that they can. Um, I think, I think so. Um, so thank goodness you were there and started this ball rolling. So you mentioned, um, 
uh, outreach to other counties, communications with other counties. Are you seeing other counties in the state doing similar work? Are you are are you are you guys consulting with the other counties? How's that working elsewhere in the state? Is this a model? Yeah, I think. So there's been, uh, and Joe, if you can help me remember, I know uh, we've been in conversation with in Oakland and Macomb counties in particular that uh, are have some folks have been interested in this kind of citizen science collection. And so we really don't, uh, we really see ourselves as like really wanting to share our learning and wanting to help folks recreate the wheel um, and so knowing where to find things but again each county each space might have different data available or it might come out in different ways and so it won't necessarily it's not necessarily like they could just do exactly what we did and so that's been one of the things and one of the parts has been um, trying to figure out so kind of the infrastructure the human the group and thinking, you know, is there a way, for instance, as opposed to each team having to kind of come up and fundraise to be able to have their own statistician, to have their own kind of staff support, if there's ways that there could be a larger push and that there would be a person that would help support multiple, uh, as an example. So where that can be a little bit more centralized, and then the work that would happen in the counties could be, you know, would, uh, but that some of that support service and that support staffing um, could happen in a more centralized way. And so that's an area where um, we've been connecting with other counties and trying to lend some support in terms of thinking about where we can look for funds and mm -hmm. what, what would be necessary for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, just as it's important within the county to have uh, collaborative, collaborative bodies in the criminal legal system, of course, it's I mean, it'd be great to have collaboration among counties um, to do this kind of work. That's fantastic. So what did I want to ask about? Well, let's let's turn to judges for a minute. There was a question in chat about the tenure of judges. And I'm so I, I guess let's talk about that for a minute. And then also just specifically like, I mean, like Judge Brown as a case study Let's talk about how uh, you, you, what kind of, in, I'm sorry, what kind of um, education you guys might be doing or have planned around judicial elections and the importance of the judges in the system. So I'll just put one thing that comes to mind right off the bat. That does. Okay. So one thing is right now, um, there is supposed to be a process of judicial review. Uh-huh. Uh, and but for example, we don't have anything yet that in that would make um, racial disparities in sentencing something that would be make a judge an object for judicial review. Uh, we actually tried tried to to raise this in the in the case of Judge Brown, um, but I haven't heard that anything came of that. But we certainly need to begin to include that kind of data in. So as Des said earlier, so the public knows who they're voting for and, and on what grounds. Mm -hmm. who, who would be responsible for collecting those data, collecting and distributing those data? Is that something that you might do in the next phase with the uh, BIRA Institute? I mean, is that something the BIRA Institute might look at and make recommendations about? I'm just, in terms of um, 
in terms, terms of, of assess in terms of assessing judges on the basis of their you know the racial you know the racial uh, differences in sentencing I mean, I would definitely hope that through this Washta Equity Partnership at the county level, that this is part of that uh, conversation and that we have uh, a sense of what that accountability looks like. That's the challenge is that there's a lack of accountability because there's not a measure for it. Right. Um, and until we lifted this out in the report, there wasn't something that pointed to this being an issue, right? And so, and so there hasn't been folks really looking there. And as we've said in our conversations so far, thus far that we haven't seen that kind of action happening. And in fact, with Judge Brown uh, uh, going to be retiring, uh, I think, is it next year, Joe, the following year? I'm trying to remember. But that, in fact, that instead of actually ha focusing on fewer criminal cases, that um, actually was folk, uh, you know, he had his uh, criminal cases and his like business civil cases or something. Um, and in fact, has those have been really uh, postponed and has been focusing only on the criminal cases. Mm -hmm. And so that's something, so for us, you know, for me as, you know, seeing this information, it's so disappointing to see that um, kind of outcome because we need to go back and look at all of these cases really um to right. be able to determine if they're you know where the why these issues exist and what do we do about that because we have folks serving based on those judgments mm -hmm. and some of those judge some of those sentences might need to be reduced um, and those people return back into community and so i think that, that is important when you ask about education about judges um i think it's um it it is important, you know, uh, in the work that we do with Interfaith Council for Peace and Justice, we, we did do um, some forms on the judges um, for the last election, and I expect you to do that kind of work and to continue to bring more eyes to the work that's happening um, within our courts um, so that we do understand what that looks like, because it's really hard to just get information just from looking online. Right. You can't just yeah. go to a site and see it. And even during those election times, it's hard to get information um, because there's not a lot there. So um, it's really through direct connection and seeing how they are in the courtroom, because um, that's that's where the rubber meets the road. Right. Right. It and seems I, like I, I want to just just add on, Sorry, there, you know, for judges now and what we're looking for. So there was a great article that came out on, was it called Politico last yeah. week? You know, that again brought up Judge Brown's involvement with another case in our community. And just the, the quotes in that article from him, I, it may have just been one quote, but mm -hmm. it was in such contrast to the concern of all the other parties involved. Yeah. And, you know, we're needing judges though, who aren't just committed to being fair, because right now all the judges believe they're fair, but it's judges who are willing to be imaginative and creative and bold in trying to figure out, okay, everybody's claiming they're playing fair, but we're getting these unjust outcomes. You know, where and how, you know, can judges stop this pattern? Yeah, I mean- and Can still... I just add to, uh, <laughs> you got the adders, <laughs> the adders of the crew team here. 
But, uh, you know, I also think it's important for the, you know, the courts, right, to be self-critical um, and to, to, to think, to, to kind of ask those courageous questions of if we are being fair and we are not displaying, how could these outcomes exist? What right. do we need to do to address these outcomes? And at the same time, to question whether we can appropriately catch our own implicit or explicit bias. Because the thing is, in these conversations that, again, you know, my disappointment, it gets high in some of these places, because, you know, a lot of times in the work of doing anti work, right, talking about equity, it's so easy for folks to say, but not me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm like, I'm not here to talk to you as an individual, because guess what? It's not you as an individual that has created this whole system, right. but you as an individual are also part of a system and you uphold it. So it doesn't just happen in a vacuum. And so we need to have individual and systematic courageousness do something. And so that means being able to be critical of self and to say, to be able to admit that maybe something's going on and what do we do to make sure that we are not keeping it going just because we're afraid of the answer that's on the other side and what yeah. it means for us when we look at ourselves in the mirror, right? I'm about improvement every day. And so we need everyone to be about that too. Yeah, ideally, and ideally individuals would be and systems would be, but as, as we've already said in this conversation, institutions tend to self-perpetuate. So no matter what they should do, what they do do is tend to self-perpetuate. So it's feeling to me as we're talking, it is kind of urgent for activists, committed citizen activists to come up with a judicial scorecard, um, a report card on certain key criteria in equity so the, you know, when somebody, FAIR has a definition, right? Like a hard and fast definition. Like this is, this is what FAIR actually is. How's this judge do? How's this judge do? So it would be great to come up with a report card to distribute to um, citizens before the next elections and develop a whole, maybe with a stamp school, develop a whole communications program around that piece, just in case you needed something else to do. I'm thinking that's important. So I, I also, though, I want to come back to Desiree's, the point she just made, which was, you know, when we were starting the prisoner reentry initiative in Washtenaw County, one of the things we had to confront was that Washtenaw County had the highest recidivism rate in the state of Michigan. Mm. So over 80% of people were ending up back in the criminal justice system wow. within two years. Now, I had been part of supporting people in the transition out of prison, and a lots of other people had. But, you know, we had to start from the point that we were failing. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't, you can't do much worse than an 80% failure rate, given that probably, you know, some people are just going to hide the whole time they get out. And I think, you know, it, it, it takes some courage to say what we're doing is not working, to let that be the starting point. To, to a new conversation. So again, I'm not just looking for judges who are, who are gonna be fair. Um, I think we're reading, needing judges that are like you know, the new prosecutor in terms of willing to open up and be bold and imaginative 
right. you know, all the areas of the criminal justice system, we're having to say, this system has actually been making our society sicker right. rather than healthier. Yeah. How do we intervene? Yeah, absolutely. And I was just saying, I was using, I totally agree with that. I was using the word fair just because that's what they always claim. So the report card. No, no, I think I love your idea and I think it's a great idea. I just wanted to add to it. <laughs> another criteria I wanted to, to put down for judges. Absolutely, because you know, even putting that down and spelling it out on a report card is an advocate, it advocates for it. You know, it communicates that this is normal. This is normative behavior that we're looking for in the judiciary. How are we doing? How's this judge doing? And I mean, it puts pressure on on the judges to, um, you know, to 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 conform to that desirable behavior. Um, I want to talk about the prosecutor for a minute because um, we love our new prosecutor. <laughs> and um, and of course, um, Sheriff Clayton is also very proactive in criminal legal reform. So. I'm wondering um, if you can talk about any areas of, um, I don't want you to, I, I'm thinking about like areas of friction there that remain um, or like what, what needs to be done in the interstices um, it, with, um, within which they're, <laughs> within what they're already doing. Like where's the, where are we still pushing the sheriff and the prosecutor specifically, because you mentioned, I think it was you, Joe, who mentioned all of the really, um, really um, um, just um, changes that the uh, prosecutor has made. Um, so where else, where else do we need to push or collaborate with them? Can I just, uh, I'll say something really quick, I think, uh, which I think is important, you know, um, so as, as we said, right at the beginning, I wear many hats. I'm in many different groups. And so depending on, you do it. <laughs> <laughs> but just depending on some of those different spaces actually are my answer on some of these questions, right? So I'm, um, I'm a abolitionist, a prison industrial complex abolitionist and, and really looking at abolishing all systems that separate and denigrate, you know, some pop part of the population over another, right? And so a lot of these inequities and all these systems that interconnect around that. Uh, and so there's lots of more room to push, right? Within the prosecutor, Ellie Savitt has put forward so many great policies, but also some things that within this that actually could cause more harm, like around hate crime policies and things of that sort that I, I don't support. And with the sheriff's department, same thing. There are some things, but also to me, it comes down to the money. It's right, <laughs> you know, it's not just the words that we say, um, it's are you moving money? And how are you moving money? And what are we funding at that moment, right? So I've had many conversations with Sheriff uh, Jerry Clayton. Um, and he said, yeah, you know, it's great. Like, I definitely th agree, we should fund more community responses. And so I want to see that. I don't want to just hear it. I want to see it happen. And that's something that I'm hoping through this work um, at the county through um, that we're, we're doing with the equity partnership. And then the other thing I would say is that we have to also be looking at ways that we are putting it in the full water, that it's not just about one leader in that space, right? 
Jerry Clayton's not going to be sheriff forever. Ellie Savick's not going to be the prosecutor forever. So we can't only focus on what are these individuals doing. It what's in the water that we're all swimming in because whoever's in that leadership position, you know, we don't want them to be able to just undo everything in one fell swoop. And that's one of the things that's such a challenge. And so I want to be looking at what are we doing to minimize the power of discretion that the prosecutor's office can use that can create harm in the ways that we're seeing in these disparities that we detail in the report. I want to remove her from that office and to see that that's happening across the board. Where, who can make that happen, Des? I mean, where, is that, is that, is that, would the county, is this county commission determine, uh, you know, have a lot of role to play in changing those systems? where who's changed how do we change those systems i totally agree with you i think that makes a ton of sense so it's not just an individual it's the system the way it's set up where are the levers there so the so it turns out the levers are are mostly the public because the county commissioners things have been set up constitutionally so the judges somehow have mostly have control over their own funding the sheriff's department mostly has control over his own funding. Okay. Prosecutor's office. So it really is public conversation and political pressure. You know, yes, the county commissioners have a disproportionate voice, but they don't have direct control. So it's it's a kind of interesting conundrum. Got it. Okay. That's so really I would just say, yeah, there's the budget. So you know, as Joe's saying, there's some the budget work. And so the county commission, as an example, will be um, and one of the, oh, this might not, have, that might, it, there might be a slide on that community toolkit that actually shows out of the Washtenaw County budget that goes toward all things within the um, law legal system. Not all of it is criminal. The majority of it is the criminal system, but not all of it is the criminal system. But it's like 75%, right? So 75% of our funds at the county level is going toward these systems. And so the um, county, the county commission will be going through the process that will be to come to approve of the budget that will be across a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a space, um, and this is an area where I know ICPJ is looking to organize and to have folks focused in on around this in particular, because that's one area where we can impact change in terms of looking at that budget um, yeah. and looking at the budget as a values document. And then, um, you know, and then pushing within the different departments to really look at their policies and what kind of things we put in place in that way and building up the, you know, what do we need to build, right? So we always talk about the dismantling, but there are things that we need to have in place as well. So how do we get funding to help build those up so that then we can say, well, we no longer need these things, right? Um, And there's no longer a justification for these things. Yeah. And I want to come back to the question of frustrations. <laughs> so uh, with, with the prosecutor, with the sheriff. So, okay. you know, two or three years ago, the funding started for the sheriff's deflection program. That to me, that's a lot of time for that program to come online. I mean, I believe it's coming online now, 
but I've still not understood why it's taken two or three years. Mm -hmm. um, Ellie Sabat said that day one, January 1st, deflection would be beginning from his office. Well, we're gonna, it's gonna start in September, but you know, I'm gonna be paying attention to how much is really gonna happen. You know, yeah. is it gonna be a trickle or is it gonna be a real alternative? Friends of Restorative Justice and the Dispute Resolution Center have presented a proposal to the County Board of Commissioners for, an, uh, for a restorative justice center in our county as an alternative pathway to the courts. So far, we've been mainly not getting response. You know, at, well, so far people say they really like it. They wanna see it done. But in terms of that question of money Desiree's raising, yeah. you know, who's, who's gonna take the leadership on that? to make sure that happens. Well, you know, Forge will keep pressing. But so, I, so a lot of these, and so one of my fears is that if you look at periods of significant change, what reactionaries do is just try to slow it down until the public loses interest. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm gonna be after Ellie, after the County Board of Commissioners, after the Sheriff, no, you know, We've, we've been tolerating this stuff for way too long. Mm -hmm. you know, it's time to make these programs. And again, you know what, what conservatives would want is, oh, let's just have a little trial program and see how it works over several years. No, you know, it's, it's time for some bold actions, bold initiatives. Yeah, right. And just another, I saw somebody had asked a question about, for instance, roles of uh, churches or small churches to, and I think that this is this is you know a general like as I've been doing these presentations I'm like they're just like open calls for action and focus because when we know for activists right you know those of us who care about an issue it's really easy to get deep in it and it's like a lot of things are happening in that moment and then you get burnt out <laughs> you know right you need to go on vacation and but the work still continues and so. For me, what, one of the things that's really important, so one of the action teams uh, that's focused on outreach, for instance, is working to take this presentation to go around to, you know, smaller churches to have kind of like a, a reader's guide uh, report, right, so that folks can right. have these discussions and think about what are the actions that we can take, right, because we, lift, we lifted up a lot of questions, and even if we had small groups that are focused on one of those question areas, right? And getting deep into it, that that will help to kind of grow, you know, the impact exponentially, right? Because then we're delving into that. But that the more people we have focused and paying attention, that if we can find ways that we can be more core, that then we can have ways that we don't, not, none one of us have to burn out, right? So that yeah. we know that we have a continual open stream and relationship. So what I would love to see, right, is that we could have these relationships with con within congregations to focus either on a, a specific question or to see if we can even have like ways where we can have folks focus on things for a certain amount of time and that there's a way that we create our own relay of activism. Mm -hmm. kind of get trained, know how to do different things, court watching, you know, what all these different things, and that we're pulling more people into it so that people are able to better step up and step back without it feeling like, you know, if I'm not doing it, then it won't get done, 
right? That's, <laughs> and, and that I can maybe do fewer things because there's more people doing some more, right? And that's the, that's like, you know, I think that's a big challenge. And so if folks, you know, you know, as I was saying, you know, it doesn't take that many people, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be the masses. Uh, it could be you and two other people that can take something forward. And so, uh, yeah, that's definitely something we're looking to do within congregations and other kinds of settings um, and, and, hope, and hoping to kind of keep that pressure on, you know, as Joe's saying, so that we don't get, we don't get tired out by the delay, right? Delay right. is for status quo. We know that we have limited time. We have, to, we have to turn too many things around so that my four and a half year old child isn't dealing with the ramifications of the adult throwing up our hands, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, that's, that's what I know I'm in this work for. And so it's a big welcome party tent for everybody that look, you know, wants to kind of get in and do a piece of it because that means that one is taken care of. Mm -hmm. Right. And it would be very helpful for people who want to have an impact that to have like specific information, specific asks, specific, specific information about lever points in each one of these systems, because just what Joe said about, about the prosecutor and about the sheriff and about the county commissioners, all of whom are good hearted and hardworking people working within systems that are resistant to move. And so, you know, both our pressure and our support, uh, if we have a, if we have a clean sense of how to do that, um, I think it would be super helpful. I want to mention um, uh, while we're on that topic of the county commission that anybody can watch the county commission meetings. They meet every month. And if you can just go to Washtenaw, just Google um, Washtenaw County Commission, you'll find the links to their monthly meetings and then their um, their budget meetings and different. And they're right now they're actively soliciting information, um, uh, ideas about how to spend the um, bolus of funds we're getting from the American Rescue Plan. Um, is yeah, I see a question about the American right. Rescue Plan. Exactly, Trudy just, Trudy just brought up that same question, right? Is it fundable? I don't know. I know there are limits on what can be, how it can be spent. Well, let, let's just, focus on that for just one second. I just want to say the Dispute Resolution Center has done the homework for a long time in this area. Right. So again, I'm not getting what the holdup is. You know, they, yeah, right. now there's been really, I'm thankful to the Sheriff's Department, to churches um, in the, the Eastern part of the county that have been mobilizing to get people to be restorative justice center facilitators, you know, but again, my understanding is we have them and they've been trained. Mm -hmm. So, you know, why aren't the floodgates opening right. for, for doing justice differently? And so what is your, what is you and Des, Joe and Des, what, what should individuals do now um, to uh, help with this work, to push it forward? How do we get involved? Do you guys have a do you guys have a sign-up link on your website? Do you have a newsletter? I, I just wait, but can I just, but I'm sorry, before we jump there, I just want to say of the ARP funds. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, Trudy's question, yeah. 
Yeah, no, because I do think it's important. I mean, it's something I'm trying to like get a deeper and deeper knowledge. And so hopefully you'll see, we'll see some more things around this because it's a lot of money flowing and uh, it's once in a lifetime money flowing, right? right. And it, right. Um, and so it really could see things. And so just a couple of things in terms of what, you know, there are some limitations, but it also is quite broad in lots of ways because the intention of the funds is to address existing historical and institutional disparities in healthcare, education, housing, and generational prosperity that have been exasperated pandemic. So I'm sure with, you know, that creativity, right, that, that Joe talked about, and as we said that, you know, as we think about how we impact the system that it is going to be intersecting with these other systems, right? You know, there's things we could be doing for housing for folks who are formerly incarcerated for affordable housing. I mean, there's there's so many different things that we could do that I do think that there's ways that we could use some of this money to help to address some of these issues and to say, and some of it could be alternatives. I honestly believe that some of it could be to some of these alternatives. Um, as ways to address. And even, you know, a lot of times you need to fund a pilot to try to actually see if this works. And, and, mm -hmm. and that takes seed money. And this is the kind of once in a lifetime money that might be able in some of that way. So for example, you know, again, when, when we begin this restorative justice work through the Dispute Resolution Center, you know, is that work gonna be done at the county jails administrative offices? Or can it be in some, some kind of housing in the community where people aren't feeling like they're already being stigmatized by walking through the door? That's the kind of thing where, where we're, we're needing, again, some bold leadership to help move this plan forward to, to where it needs to be. And I got it that while we're doing this process of looking at all the different pieces of the puzzle, people are hesitant to make any decisions but I haven't met a person who doesn't see that restorative justice center as part of that puzzle in the mm -hmm. end. Yeah. Um, I want to say, you know, so there's some really good organizations in our community. Commute Crew has been more about kind of research and sharing data, but you know, you've got the Interfaith Council for Peace and Justice has a legal action team. Friends of Restorative Justice has been right. working on these issues for five or six years. Desiree mentioned liberate, don't incarcerate. They're, they're working on it. So, so there are, you know, depending on your temperament and your passion, you know, I, I think we are seeing a level of change happening in this area that was would have seemed unbelievable five years ago. Uh -huh. So the river is flowing and, and certainly you can reach out to Desiree or myself and you know, if you're looking for a way to make a connection and we'll, we'll try to point you towards. I was just gonna say the other thing is, I mean, I think it's important too, right? There's these things that are happening at the county level, but we also like, let's not forget about our own, our municipalities and what's happening at that level too, because, you know, as we said in our report, we didn't look at law enforcement, but we know that law enforcement is a big part, of, it's a big arm of this. Uh -huh. And and they're funded at the local level. right? Uh, Right. And right. conversations about alternatives happen at the local level. I was just on a call today um, that was looking at different ways that um, different kind of 
bronze teams in Olympia, Washington, Denver, Colorado, San Francisco, California. A lot of them built on the Cahoots program um, in Eugene, Oregon. And I'm like, right. Let's get, we got to keep pushing it further east. Like, <laughs> how do we get it over here? You know, we got to be Absolutely. a bridge to the East Coast here in Michigan, right? Yeah. But th- that these things are happening here in the county, we have funding up on on ballots, we have conversations and what did those community conversations look like, right? You know, what are we actually asking and what are we then demanding from these spaces and saying, what does that accountability look like, right? And so that's happening within our municipalities. So even looking there, I also think is a really great first step for folks because that will then help to think about how it feeds into level. And we had that millage that we got passed to everyone's surprise, whatever that was three or four years ago around community mental health and around criminal justice reform. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the places where we need accountability is where are those funds really being spent and what what are we getting getting out of that? So real quick, because we're at time, um, I would just say that, um, Joe, to your point about the core causes, of 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 some of the of some of the violence or some of the um, you know some of the legal issues we see is our our poverty and um, other inequities um, uh, education disparities and so forth and you know at least we know ARP funds are going strongly to alleviate some of those core issues thank goodness so we have that. I just wanted to come back to your list of organizations, local organizations. I want to repeat them for one thing uh, so people know where to go to act. There's ICPJ, um, there's Friends of Restorative Justice, there's Liberate, Don't Incarcerate. And then, um, you know, there's, um, there's, I think, a relatively new one to support returning citizens. Do you remember the name? Do you know the name of that group? There's a Brighter Way. Brighter way. Yeah, brighter way. Okay. So a brighter way as well. So um, we have to close because it's time and we keep people over time. Thank you guys so, so much. We've just learned a ton from you and thank you for all of your work. It's just been so impressive. I want to mention also that our final, um, our final focus of our, for our final quarter includes um, uh, environmental justice. So for the last three months of this year, right, we'll be looking both at lunch, in Lunch and Learn and in Bruise and Views at, at issues of environmental justice. So look for us, look for details via email and on our website at lwbannarbor.org or on our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com lwbaaa. Um, to register, you go to lwbannarbor.org and click on the calendar. And that's it. Thank you all for being here tonight. Thank everybody. And especially Joe and Des, thank you so, so much for all your work. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.